0: I eat like the shaky way you grin, yes, baby. Still you ain't nowhere. You ain't no kind of catch. Dog on you woman, your socks
1: don't match. Your teeth have that curly. Well, you mind. know, Fats Waller hits upon one of the many paradoxes and quandaries posed by the topic of our show today, socks. Which is, I mean, there is no other item of clothing. With the possible exception of gloves, but I say no, there's no other uh, article of clothing or paired, coupled article of clothing which which so reliably separates from its mate. I mean, I don't know what, what there would be, but I mean, socks... Socks are capricious. They vanish. We don't know what happens uh, to one of them. Roy Blunt Jr., in writing about this problem many years ago, also talked about the fact that quite frequently and capriciously, it's one of the two uh, socks in a new pair of socks that goes away, right? And he says the poet's... I'm quoting from long distant memory, but it says something along the lines of the poets have written inadequately of the pleasures of sliding on a, a very new pair of socks. All of these things are true. Many more things are true. And we're going to do a show about socks today because you need this show. You need it more than you need a show about some of the things that are troubling your mind right now. We'd like to trouble your mind about other things a little bit later in the show we will especially trouble your mind when we uh explain to you by one of our guests that uh, it is quite possible that there's sort of a black market for used socks the people who want used socks want them for foul and fetishistic purposes they want dirty stinky socks I don't know you you know you you can complete that circle but or or we will um and then at the end of the show today I I insisted on this and I now realize that like so many of the things that I insist on this is a dubious premise <laughs> because socks the cat who was the clinton cat who witnessed all of the dramas of the clinton era uh or at least could have um, has stayed with me. I mean, not literally. I don't have Socks here. Socks is dead. But, um, you know, he's just sort of stayed in my mind as the example of an especially especially enigmatic uh, uh, presidential pet. And also, he, at the end of his run, at the end of the presidential run, he didn't go, he didn't leave with the Clintons. He left with Betty Curry, who was Bill Clinton's personal secretary. And therein lies a tale. But, To begin with, we really just gotta get right at the heart of socks. Qua Socks. And to do that, uh, Kim Adrian, she's sort of the reason we're doing this show, because she was on a different show and then it came out that she had written a whole book about socks and we said, oh well, we're doing another show with you. Uh, she's the author of the memoir, The 27th Letter of the Alphabet. Uh, her most recent book, Dirk Knaus- Nausgaard, uh, was published in September. It's, uh, it'd be a hard book to describe, but it's a set of responses uh, to the uh, great Scandinavian writer. Uh, she teaches at Grub Street in, in downtown Boston and she joins us now. Hi, Kim Adrian. Welcome back.
2: Hi, Colin. Thanks. It's we nice sh- to be back.
1: We should say your sock book uh, is part of a series of books called, I believe, Object Lessons, right? These are it's the kind of thing we like to do. I didn't even know this existed, but sort of a deep dive into some fairly quotidian object.
2: Yeah, totally. I I think that you'd probably like a lot of them. Hamburgers and drones and dust.
1: <laughs> now, now, did you... I mean, in in, in uh, being selected to write the socks book, book. I mean, did you say, "Look, I'd like to write one of those books," or did you say, "I've I've got a socks book in me"?
2: <laughs> I I think I originally wanted to write about knitting, mm-hmm. but the problem with writing about knitting is that it's like an activity, not an object. Right. Um, yes. So I just I don't know why I picked socks. Actually, I probably picked socks because I never knit a sock, but I think I just. I'm very attracted to like the small overlooked things. Like I tend to write about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, so I just said I'd write a book about socks and then all of a sudden I was writing a book about socks. <laughs> uh,
1: well, that's what happens when you say you're gonna write a book about socks. Yeah, You wind right. up writing a book about socks. So, um, but we should say that the earliest known socks, I, I, I am descended from Neanderthal. I, I have a great deal of Neanderthal DNA. We, <laughs> Our people do not wear socks. Um, we didn't need socks. We didn't want socks. We want our land back. That's what we want. But, um, but so the earliest known socks are on some much more poncy uh, kind of uh, early human named Otzi. Tell us about Otzi. His mm-hmm. socks, we should emphasize, were definitely not knitted.
2: No. Knitted, knitted socks took a while for us to figure out. Um, Otzi, Otzi was a Copper Age huntsman who was wandering around in the Alps. There's actually kind of a dramatic story attached to him. They think that he was probably being chased because he had a arrow head wound and a shoulder that seems like it was recent, right before his death. Anyway, this is about 5,000 years ago and he got enclosed in ice. And so he was perfectly preserved, which is really rare, especially for clothing. Um, So we have this amazing 5,000 year old outfit and it included shoes and socks and that they were kind of all of, of one thing. So they were three part object. There was the leather outer covering and inside that was a kind of net made out of rope. And the net was holding a bunch of hay in place. So the hay was the sock. That's the earliest thing that we can kind of call a sock.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we may be stretching the point or the definition or the sock. I mean, it, it, it's borderline, wow, my ankles are cold. What could I tie on there to, so they wouldn't be so cold? But maybe that is, that maybe ultimately, I mean, one of the questions you really try to uh, um, explore here is why, why socks? Why are there so- socks yeah. at all? Uh, Albert Einstein, the smartest man in the world, did not wear socks, uh, but the rest of us do. So I don't know, is there an easy answer to why socks?
2: Um, well, I think Ozzy was smart to wear socks because he was hiking in the Alps. And one of the reasons we wear socks is so that we don't get frostbite or trench, foot. those are two of the most dangerous things that we can have happen to our feet. Um, and that's basically when both those conditions will lead to vasoconstriction. So all the blood vessels will constrict and your foot doesn't get any more, um, nourishment from the blood and they basically die. The flesh dies. So he was smart to do it for that reason. Um, He's clambering over a bunch of stones and rocks, and we don't really have that much protection. Like our feet do an incredible job of with very little equipment on their own. There's just a few fat pads, a little bit of extra tough skin and some nails. Um, So if you're going to climb the Alps, I think wearing shoes and socks is probably a good idea even if you're a
1: copper-aged guy. <laughs> right. Well, as you point out, too, the, the feet have 52 bones and 66 joints and, and a lot of nerve endings, too. There's yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons that we torture people, well, not we, you and I, but what, why people get tortured by beating on their feet is because the feet uh, are, in fact, unbelievably sensitive. It probably makes sense to be choosy, choosy about what we put on them.
2: It, it doesn't. It do, I mean, that's a funny question. The feet have more nerve endings per square centimeter than any other part of the body. Um, and I've I read that it's between seven and 8,000 nerve endings per foot. Um, so yeah, you kind of want to protect them for that reason, but actually they're there because we walk on them and we need that information. So a lot of people who are like barefoot advocates would say it's much better to go barefoot and know exactly what's happening underneath your feet than to wear shoes and socks.
1: Right, which I I think makes a certain amount of sense. I I will also say that uh, one thing that, uh, a memory that was stirred up by your book is that my mother, when I was growing up, the kids in my neighborhood at that particular moment in history, it was in the 1870s, um, (laughs) um, the kids in my neighborhood, They didn't. They wanted to wear their sneakers with no socks. It was not cool to wear socks. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be like they were. And my mother didn't. And she told me she got the name of the president wrong. She said that Herbert Hoover's son had died from a blister he got from not wearing socks. Mm -hmm. And then she would say he was the most powerful man in the world and he couldn't save his son. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually uh, Calvin Coolidge, but she's kind of not wrong about the rest of it.
2: She's not, and she got the alliteration, right? Herbert Hoover, Calvin Coolidge. But um yeah, he was sixteen he was a sixteen year old boy, and it was in nineteen twenty four, which was four years before penicillin was invented. So he got a really nasty blister, and I think it was less than a week before his blood got poisoned from the infection and he died. Um, you know, Albert Einstein was not wearing socks. I, I don't know when he stopped wearing socks, but presumably after penicillin was widely available. So it wouldn't have been that smart pre penicillin.
1: we we haven't really pinned down those two dates Um, but his whole point was that um, he explained this in a letter to a brother or a cousin or something like that that he realized that when you wear a sock your shoe wears a hole in the sock uh, often at at the big toe but he he just thought what was the point Um, what was the point of wearing something that your shoe is going to wear a hole in and you can't (laughs) argue with that because he's Albert Einstein you maybe could argue about it in other ways so right. your, your book kind of gets all into all kinds of fascinating areas. Maybe we should just talk a little bit about one of the things that you really explore in some depth is the kind of question of where is the sock's role in fashion? And, and using a lot of semiotics and fancy sources like Roland Barthes uh, and people like that, you sort of get into this idea of the sock as the small gesture. But say, say mm-hmm. more about that
2: um okay so i when i was writing this book 2016 i don't think it's such a big deal anymore but there was this big hashtag that was kind of all over the place that was sock game and the idea was to show off your socks on twitter or wherever especially men your, your fancy socks with this hashtag sock game and i just thought that was really interesting in light of some of the things that Barth says in this great collection of essays called, I think it's called The Language of Clothes or The Language of Fashion, I'm not sure. But what he argues is that the the traditional thinking about why we started wearing clothing is that we started because of necessity, um, modesty, and decoration. And each of those is fascinating in and of themselves when you start looking at them, especially decoration. Um, But Roland Barthes, argued that actually we're also communicating with our clothes. And he said that, (laughs) especially after the French revolution in his home country of France, people started, men especially started dressing more democratically so that you couldn't tell someone's station in life from their outfit. Everybody kind of wore the same, what he called Quaker suit. But what you had to start doing was looking at the details, which he called the vestimes, these tiny little Units of meaning, so like a little tie pin or a certain special cut to your shirt or something like that. And this, the sock game, is just a really obvious um, example of that.
1: Right. I mean, you know, here in America, perhaps the equivalent would be the man in the gray flannel suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if everybody is going to wear the uh, the same gray flannel suit, if we are going to be uh, participants in conformity, then the question is when can we non conform? And, and the sock, yeah. you know, used in that way. And I have a lot of, you know, impish flashy socks. I'm not wearing them during the pandemic because no one cares, but, um, but I could I, can, I will revive them someday. The question is, is this an act of boldness or an act of cowardice, right? I mean, if you're going to reserve your, your gestures, your most, most flamboyant and colorful gestures for the sock, you're essentially saying you're not really prepared to lay it on the line, but perhaps I have this wrong.
2: Well, I think you're right. I think that's really interesting. But I think that socks are so interesting that way. Like for centuries, they've been knitted with really elaborate designs that nobody sees. And there's even in Iceland, uh, there are these like shoe inserts, which are just the sole of a sock. They're knitted and you just wear them on the inside of your shoe and they're incredibly beautiful and decorative. But like literally nobody can ever see those because they're underneath your foot the whole time. So that's I guess that's a really interesting aspect of decoration when it's private and it's just like something that, you know, is there. Um, you
1: yeah. on the other hand, it also could be argued just to go back to Roy Blunt's uh, earlier point that socks were the early sweatpants in the sense that they're, you know, a good pair of socks, a nice pair of socks, a new pair of socks. As you pull them on, there is something very comfortable and comforting uh, uh, about them. There is, since you mentioned Iceland, I'll go Scandinavian. There is some hygge, uh going on with, uh, at least with sort of good socks, right? Good socks make you feel good in a way that very few other items of clothing do.
2: They totally do. And I think there's, I think that's probably because the feet have so many nerve endings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actual evidence that, that warm, socks can calm the whole nervous system. Um, and actually there's a study of like women achieving sexual orgasm much more readily when they're wearing socks, (laughs) probably for that very reason. Um, Women so and
1: that... Elliot Spitzer, apparently. Although, <laughs> actually, that may not be true, that Elliot Spitzer thing. Um, I, hold on to your thought, because I'm interrupting you right now. But just since it came up. So there was this idea that Elliot Spitzer wore kind of knee-length uh, black socks and kept them on in his oh. you know, encounters with prostitutes. Although that turns out to be something put out by Roger Stone and probably says more about Roger Stone and how kinky his mind is than than Elliot Spitzer. So I would like to be I would like to at least sort of semi fact check that particular base canard uh, about Elliot Spitzer. But anyway, back to you and socks and pleasure.
2: Mm. Um, No, I just think that that you're right, that a pair of socks just feels incredibly comforting. Um, And I think it's because the whole nervous system is calm and the feet are warm.
1: Now, one thing that you paid attention to. That maybe another sock book writer, of which, according to you, there's basically only <laughs> only one anyway. He's long gone. But right. another sock book writer probably wouldn't have spent quite as much time thinking about the darning of socks. Mm. Um, even though we know from Eleanor Rigby that darning your socks in the night when there's nobody there <laughs> and nobody cares is really, you know, the the the, the ultimate statement, the nadir of loneliness and, and and a feeling as though you're kind of doing something that you have to do, uh, but it, it isn't necessarily fulfilling. It's a necessity. Mm. And this is something you explore a lot, the, this mm. whole idea uh, of darning socks up to and including the recognition of a uh, Hitler, uh, Hitler body double or something. We can maybe come to that. But just Talk about darning of, the darning of socks and whether there's any kind of chop wood, carry water, or fulfillment that comes from it.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. I think that's a really good uh, comparison, actually. I mean, I spend, at the end of the book, a lot of time, like you're saying, talking about darning socks, mending, the idea of keeping, um, because I've just been discussing the, the incredible voracious cycles of fast fashion. And the huge number of socks. I mean, that's just one tiny part of the human wardrobe. But you know, we produce over 80 billion socks, I think it is, per year. Every yes. year. 80 billion. Again and 80, again. 80, Where 81, do they go?
1: 81 million, but who's counting?
2: 81 billion, yeah. So um, and so the idea is, you know, fast fashion, it's disposable. And this is this is our economic engine now. It's just like consumption and disposal, consumption and disposal. So I try to spend some time looking at the idea of just like what happens in the middle of that creation destruction cycle. And that's where (laughs) these very plain, it's, you know, when people, when there was a cottage industry of sock making, it belonged to a category called plain work. And plain work was necessary needlework. It was knitting of socks and stockings. It was the making of underwear. It was the mending of anything that needed mending. And then there was fancy work, which was like pineapple bags and laced oilies, totally unnecessary things that were just, could be really beautiful, but weren't necessary. And so I think your example of Eleanor Rigby is just so perfect because we've always, for some reason, why do we why do we, denigrate the plain? And I, I think looking at the sock as closely as I did gave me an even greater appreciation of like the small and the mundane and the plain um, because the sock is so connected to these things. So, yeah, I, I really advocate mending and elevating the the plain work and the, the kind of activities that are seen as unglamorous or unworthy. And actually, I'm saying I think they're really worth a lot. And it's it's great if you can mend your socks instead of just going out and buying a new pair and tossing the old pair.
1: Yes, there'll be less hydrofracking. Uh, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? You want to save the planet. Don't just keep buying new socks every time they wear out. Yeah, you give us, uh, among the many voices you give us in this book, you give us that of Aeneas Nin, who says something to that effect, that mm. she wants to feel fully alive right out to her very fingertips. And since it's Aeneas Nin, we know exactly what she means by that. But she also has to do stuff like darn socks, where she does not feel totally alive. And so that's like two Humble an activity in the in the I, the following segment. By the way, we are going to explain uh, to Anais Nin apostrophically that she could have. Made sexy time and paid attention to her socks, uh, and it all would have just come together in a beautiful way. But before we do that, there's so many other, you know, sort of sock rituals that we uh, haven't uh, touched upon yet. I mean, not fetishistic ones, but just sort of they are a thing we deal with every day. So let's hear uh, Archie Bunker explain socks and the order in which things must be put on. Hold hold on, hold it.
3: What are you doing here? What? What about the other foot? There ain't no sock on it. I'll get to it. Don't you know that the whole world puts on a sock and a sock and a shoe and a shoe?
1: shoe? I like to take care of one foot at a time. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life it's just as quick my way
3: wait a minute that ain't the break. you see what i don't don't keep doing it listen to me. suppose there's a fire in the house and you got to rub your life your way all you got on is one shoe and a sock my way you got on a sock and a sock you see you're eating suppose it's raining or snowing outside your way with a sock on each foot my feet would get wet My way, with a sock and a shoe on one foot, I can hop around and stay dry.
1: (laughs) So, uh... Some very Socratic dialogue going no. uh, on there, but it is there is sort of it is one of these kind of private questions I mean there's a whole separate question about if you are the kind of person who is going to be wearing slacks whether you should put your socks on first because ultimately the slack has to come down over the socks so it's it's you know theoretically <laughs> socks first then you pull on the slack everything's kind of uh, in in the right position uh, but as you also suggest socks, The putting on of socks, particularly if we do it that way, is a moment of liminality. We did an entire show about liminality, but Mm. um, it is a moment where we're kind of crossing from not having anything on to maybe having one little thing on. You cite uh, Lolita, uh, the first glimpse, I believe, of Lolita uh, as uh, some evidence of that. But yeah, perhaps you could dilate on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I spent a lot of time kind of looking at some of the paintings of Aegon Sheila, he painted a lot of nudes wearing socks or seeming as if they were kind of wearing socks, the skin tone changes and, um, George Bataille and certain ideas about like what the verticality of the human form does to our psychology and the idea that we're kind of constantly striving towards the upper reaches towards some higher plane and that as soon as we put on our socks, we've kind of severed our connection to the earth. Like that's the first thing we do every day, well, those of us who wear socks. That severs that connection. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's the that's the real liminal aspect of them that I I think is fun to think about. And
1: and it may also explain once again why we might have some very specific anxieties about which socks we're going to put on. If we're going to do that, if we're going to sever our connection with the earth, or if we're going to begin some kind of journey toward the clouds or at least some new state of upwardness, some verticality it's important that the socks we uh, we get are right and so uh, let's hear uh, from seinfeld a series which occurred somewhere between roland bart and uh, the bloomsbury books object lessons series but belongs with all of them let's hear a little seinfeld contemplation before we go to a break it's good but but what ultimately i don't think they'll stay up no no they'll they'll for a while, yes, but not in the long
3: run.
2: But that's why I got you the tighter ones. Don't forget about those. <laughs> why do you keep mentioning those? What do you want? I want a decent sock that's comfortable that will stay on my foot.
1: And the, there, you have the verticality. There's, there's the other <laughs> problem, right? The sock has to also stay up in the position yeah. we want it left on if we are going to become much more vertical. All right, sure. we're talk- yeah, go ahead. Would you want to finish up with that?
2: No, you just picked two of my favorite sock comedy skits, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear them
1: from the vast panoply from which we had to choose. Uh, <laughs> all right, Kim Adrian is with us. Uh, she is going to join us uh, uh, and another guest for uh, our next sex- segment, which will involve—I mean, if you have little ones or something—I don't think it's going to be any too upsetting. But we will be talking about sex and the relash- and the relationship to socks, and. That's, well, that's all I'm going to say at this moment because I don't want to alarm you. Uh we'll be back in just a second. Yet, get dirty, the longer you wear them, yet, the stronger they yet, get. Not Sometimes not I think yet, I should yet, wash them, not not but yet, something inside not me not says yet, no, yet, no, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Back socks and never get dirty. The longer you wear them, the stronger they get. Sometimes I think I should
2: wash them, but something inside me says no, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet, not yet. I want to thank my co
1: stars uh, Leo, Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie's feet, Margaret Qualley's feet, Dakota Fanning's feet. <laughs> Seriously, Quentin has separated more women from their shoes than the TSA. <laughs> That's Brad Pitt. Uh, yes, we are about to move into a whole other area of socks. Uh, and still with us, Kim Adrian is the author of the memoir, The 27th Letter of the Alphabet. Her most recent book is Dear Nausgaard. And yes, she wrote a book entirely about socks. Um, joining us now also is Kara uh, Mavros, uh, a writer based in New York. We'll meet her in just a second. But let's have Kim uh, kind of uh, tee this up for us a little bit. So um, when we when we say the word fetishes... We're talking presumably about all kinds of things, about a spectrum of all sorts of things that a person could uh, have an unnatural sexual interest in, or maybe unnatural is too judgmental. But it turns out an awful lot of those things are right below the human ankle. Maybe you could say a little bit more about uh, about that. Mm. Um,
2: well, I could say that there's a pretty recent study that sh- uh, says that, I think it's 47 percent of all mm-hmm. sexual fetishes are related or foot related. Um, so that would include shoe fetishes, sock fetishes and foot fetishes.
1: And um, so, yeah, and there's uh, uh, Freud has a word for the at least the foot part of this podophilia and uh, not to be confused with other kinds of aphilias, but uh, pod like podiatrist uh, and uh, some of this. Well, yeah. What were you about to say? I,
2: oh, I was going to say that Freud actually called podophilia coprophilic which means like an obsessed with feces. So I think he was talking about the smells, Um, which actually if you don't wear shoes and you don't wear socks, your feet are never going to smell because the, all those sweat glands are actually of a type that just basically produce saline. So there's no, there's no smell unless you're trapping your feet in a shoe and things are kind of stewing there. Um, But that's an aside.
1: (laughs) Right. So, uh, you know, you you chronicle all kinds of people who've had a pretty deep uh, interest in uh, socks, including uh, a man who had to be chained to uh, his bed by his mother. Which That was my fetish, actually, uh, was I wanted to be chained to my bed by my mother and she would just give me these sticky socks to make me stop thinking about it. So it's kind of the reverse of what you describe. Um, but uh, no, I mean, this, these descriptions you have of people uh, owning uh, enormous connect, collections of a, a carpet of 4,000 pairs of socks, 18 inches deep on the floor, hanging from furniture lampshades and in the microwave uh, when these people were, were actually arrested. I don't know exactly why They would be arrested but they were um so yeah i mean uh before we bring kara aboard you're probably unsurprised by the story she's about to tell people want this for some reason Mm -hmm. um possibly freud's reason although we also thought money was a substitute for poop too so uh (laughs) maybe there's like a complicated cycle going here well First of all, Kara, welcome to uh, our uh, show. Uh, this is one of those essays where the the headline kind of tells an awful lot of the story. The headline or title being "I sold my used <laughs> I sold my used socks to a stranger on the internet for sixty dollars, and I do it again." I'm sorry for laughing in the middle of that. Um, so, Kara, uh, tell us that story.
3: Well, thanks, Colin. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, but I have dabbled in the fetish industry um maybe five or six years ago now so I took a group trip with some girlfriends to um to a theme park in Florida posted a normal picture what I thought was you know not anything uh that would cause too much excitement online but just maybe six or seven of us girls in activewear, wearing sneakers uh socks something like a great day and uh this strange account, or I should say, random account, commented on it and said, cool, was it fun? And I responded, I said, yeah, it was a fun day. It was good. And he said, oh, I've never been there. Um, Is it a lot of walking? Was it really hot out today? And I said, yeah, it was was pretty hot, but really fun, like totally worth it, totally worth the Florida heat. And that's where things got, they took a turn a little bit Um, and he said, Cool, I have one more question, but this one's kind of different. Would you maybe sell me the socks you wore today? And I was like, okay, this took a turn. It's not what I was expecting, but why not, I guess. I was just intrigued, honestly. So I said, yes, we were DMing and then I gave him my Snapchat eventually because I thought that was a little less invasive than a phone number. Um, So then, yeah, we had this arrangement set up. I would send him my socks. He said he would pay anything, including the price of the ticket for the theme park for the day. So I said, great. So $60. I was sending him some photos of my feet, you know, and he would screenshot them. And I I knew what it was about, but I didn't really think too, too much about it. But this relationship went on for a little while. Um, close to a year and you know, as I got more comfortable in this and a little bit bolder, I, I asked him one time, why does it matter if they're dirty? Because he repeatedly would ask me like, oh, are you sure they're safe? Are you sure that they're not gonna get washed? And your roommates aren't gonna wash the socks? Um, and I was like, no, 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 like they're fine. And so I asked him, why Why do you want them to be dirty? And he said, oh, I just really like the thrill of cleaning really dirty things so i guess in the end he wasn't totally comfortable sharing his fetish with me but he was comfortable enough to reach out to a stranger and ask for the socks Mm -hmm. um so it was it was interesting but um well so you're saying that, that
1: that you don't really take him at his word that that i mean that you know it is possible at the end of whatever cycle he was involved with with your dirty socks that he did take some pleasure in cleaning them up but you're suggesting it seems more likely that he wanted dirty, smelly socks for a much more specific and bodily reason than throwing that's them in the Maytag. That's what
3: I would have to assume from the amount of times he was following up. And, uh yeah, that's what I would have to assume. But yeah, it is possible that after some, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So. So,
1: oh, well, let's we have to bring Kim back into this conversation, although I'm not sure Kim is eager to come storming back into this conversation. Let's let's pretend she is anyway. You know, so let's be Kim French semioticians about this or or something. It seems to me that, you know, that rather than going with Freud, uh, but being kind of dis, kind of a little bit connected anyway to Freud's thinking, there's a sort of humiliation here, right? There's a way in which, if you are going to seek out and spend time, intimate time, with somebody's dirty socks, uh, somebody you don't even know their' dirty socks, there's some kind of rehearsed humiliation involved there, but perhaps you have other thoughts.
2: Well, that's really, I I had that didn't occur to me, but I think you might be right just because of the idea of of feet being you know dirty. But, um, I always have thought of it more as, and maybe this is because, in a way, I've had my own fetishistic relationship to socks not sexual really, but, um, when my kids were little, it was really hard for me to throw out their socks. Mm -hmm. Um, I just got like. I think because they're shaped like feet and they grew out of them and the foot is such an intimate part of the body. It was just, I had to just like create bags of old socks. And then eventually when I felt really brave, I'd throw them all out. But it was ridiculously emotional for me. So I always think of, I guess, sock fetishism as um, being related to that. Like like somehow believing that the essence of someone attaches to something that they wore and it's kind of like in this in this sexual mode like this guy who was buying kara's socks that it's a stand-in for an actual person so it's this kind of fear-based desire um but i i think the humiliation aspect of it is interesting and definitely could see how that could be part of it too
1: that could be my uh, my own massive set of psychological (laughs) problems speaking who who knows so kara um i mean On the one hand, this isn't like, you know, some fetish where some guy wants to spank you. I mean, your hands are clean, so to speak here. You send the socks off and that's the end of it. Um, But do you, I don't know, did you feel any sense of violation or encroachment knowing that somebody was up to no good with your socks?
3: You know, when I think about it, yeah, it's a little bit unorthodox, sure. But on the other hand, it's like, these are dirty socks that cost what a a couple bucks tops anyways like I'm gonna throw them away and get a new pair soon how do I know that someone's not gonna dig through my trash and do the same thing I might as well make a couple bucks so
1: I mean (laughs) now I'm worried about your neighborhood um but um (laughs) well no I thought well one of the things that was very touching in your essay is that you did feel at least in some remote corner of your psyche a little bit affirmed by this right you hadn't always liked your feet
3: yeah i mean not in any grand special way where it was a a big um you know discomfort of mine but i yeah i never really i've never thought of feet as an especially sexy sexy part of the body especially my feet and something i think they're pretty normal but i don't know i just it never really clicked in my brain that that's something that other people would find desirable um so yeah there's a little bit of flattery i guess you could say and Yeah, I figured if he's coming to me, a stranger, asking for this, I don't know, he probably doesn't have anyone else in his life that would pick him up on this, so I might as well see if I can help.
1: Well, listen, that is, you know... (laughs) That is the definition of generosity, except that you were getting $50. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, well, listen, we have to stop there because we'll lose our FCC license if we talk about this anymore. But uh, thanks so much to Kim Adrian, who's sort of our anchor guest here today. Uh, and uh, check out her books like The 27th Letter of the Alphabet uh, or Dear Nesgaard, uh or her book about socks for the Object Lessons series. Kara Mavros is a writer based in New York. Hopefully this won't be like the first paragraph in her New York Times obit, seventy years from now uh, but um, and i have to say you tell one thing here because it just only fits here. So this is the first day in many, many, many months that our show, that the technical uh, producing part of our show is not being done by Cat Pastor, who we don't really know all that well. We love Cat Pastor because she's just like this no drama tech producer. Instead, it's being engineered. I should say uh, the tech producer today is our boss, Katie Tularski. So we'll probably be written up for this whole conversation. Uh, But uh, when we first started talking about this at a meeting on Monday, the minute Betsy Kaplan mentioned the title of Kara's piece, Cat Pastor perked right up. I didn't, still didn't understand what was being discussed. And Cat Pastor uh, brightened right up and goes, oh, yeah, you can make a lot of money doing that. (laughs) I thought, oh, well, they're just, you know, things that you don't get to know about people, particularly if you meet them, and then a pandemic starts right after that. So uh, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back, and we are going to talk about another kind of socks, a socks that is a cat. those silk shiny stockings that i wear when i'm with you i wear cause you told me that you dig that crazy hue do we think of romance when we go to- and we're back uh and so as i alluded to a cat pastor is uh, not here today i'm somewhat alarmed about what she might be doing when she's not here. Uh, but we are so excited. Katie Tularski, the big kid uh, who is our boss, has uh, taken over and she's the technical producer uh, today. And as you can tell, things are going swimmingly. Uh, Betsy Kaplan, senior producer of the Colin McEnroe Show, is the producer of today's uh, episode. And I believe the latest is that we're not going to be on the air. T- if you're listening here on Wednesday anyway, I believe uh, tomorrow because uh, of the uh, the committee vote on and debate on um, uh, the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. We probably will not be on the air, but we're going to be back on Friday with um, a, an episode of The Nose where we're going to be talking about, among other things, American Utopia. This is the new David Byrne concert show, which uh, has turned into a uh, HBO special uh, a movie shot by uh, Spike Lee. And I've already upset people by saying I don't like it. Uh, so it could, be, it could get nasty. It could get ferocious. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about uh, socks some more, but not about the kind that you wear on your feet. Uh, joining Well, first of all, let me just set this up. Let me set it up. So uh, in 1992, 1993, as the Clintons came to Washington, D.C. as a family, uh, we were all intrigued to find out that they had a black and white cat named Socks. Uh, it was a street cat, a stray cat, I think, from Little Rock, Arkansas, that had jumped into Chelsea Clinton's arms. And so Sox uh, accompanied, accompanied us through the somewhat storm-tossed Clinton era. Uh, and, uh, you know, had his uh, eyes opened, his cat eyes opened in ways that uh, we probably did too. Uh, and there's a lot that we can say about socks. We're going to have a, a guest here, though, Chloe Bryan, uh, the deputy editor of Mashable's shopping section covering tech and lifestyle products. Uh, previously, she was a culture reporter for Mashable. She wrote a piece about the GOP investigation of Socks the Cat. It was titled, Remember When Republicans Went After Socks the Cat. So, uh, first of all, Chloe, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you for having me
1: So uh, we probably have to set this up a little bit more so socks, and you sound too young to have experienced this as directly as I did um, <laughs> but um but socks was kind of a celebrity, socks in the way that presidential pets either can or can't be. Um, Socks was kind of a celebrity, and so so what happened? Right, people sent mail to Socks, and, and there your story begins. I'll let you take up the thread.
0: Yeah. So Socks. So first of all, presidential pets are usually super popular. People really like them, but Socks was a particularly popular pet, um, and part of the reason for that was because he pretty much had free reign of the house and the grounds. So he would always like walk around the lawn, probably because he was trying to avoid the dog buddy who he did not like. Um, But press photographers would carry catnip with them in their pockets and try to like lure him closer to them for photos. And so people saw tons of photos of socks. He was everywhere. um, And kids especially liked him. So kids um, would send socks, a bunch of letters and cards in the mail and, um, the White House would respond to that mail pretending to be Socks because, like, if you're a kid, of course, you would love a letter from a cat instead of a human. But that uh, mail habit got Socks into some trouble at one point with um, Dan Burton, who was a representative from Indiana at the time. Um, at one point, he sent a letter to President Clinton saying that um, it was wrong for the White House to use taxpayer money to send mail from Sox. Um, And in this letter, which was uh, reported out by the Chicago Tribune at the time, this is my favorite quote from it, he says, Who pays for the postage? If it comes out of the White House mail budget, why are the taxpayers being made to pay for your felines fan club? So Sox was really in hot water at that point.
1: Although we need to mention, I mean, Dan Burton, he was one, of the. Hillary Clinton at one point talked about a vast right wing conspiracy to get the Clintons. Uh, Burton was very much part of that. He went after them about everything. Like many of the critics of the uh, Clintons, his hands were not clean. It came out that during his first marriage, I think he uh, fathered a child out of wedlock with somebody else. And he eventually got in trouble for abusing his franking privilege. Right. It turned out he was sending out too much mail.
0: Yeah. So he, I mean, as you said, he was involved in quite a few political scandals during his career and his mail use definitely wasn't the most severe one. Um, But at one point, this was pretty far past the Sox era of things. um, He ranked in a study as the fifth biggest user of congressional mail. And a lot of that mail um, was basically anti-Affordable Care Act messaging, um, which even his challengers in his Republican primary were like, this is a little bit much for your congressional mail use. So it kind of makes Sox's fan mail seem like small potatoes at that point.
1: Yes, and quite harmless. Um, (laughs) And uh, we should say that Sox, I mean, you know, there have been, you know, Presidential pets, they come and go. Uh, President Trump, of course, has never had a pet, um, but everybody else pretty much does. Um, There was something about socks, and I think some of it also was that socks always had this slightly alarmed look on his face, but also there's a way in which a cat is a little bit uh, implacable and, and hard to read. And anyway, as a result, people did all kinds of things. I mean, there was a video game that was going to uh, exist uh, that involves socks, I believe, saving the world from nuclear Armageddon. Socks. Yes, wound, yeah, very you, you weird so- video game. You want to say Super something weird. about that? Yeah, Go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I, I have nothing to add to what you said, but it's, it was just a, a strange idea that I wish had been executed fully because I well, would love to play it.
1: <laughs> There was a guy who came along later, I think his name was Tom Curtin, who actually started a GoFundMe. He got the rights to the game somehow, and he he was still like years later gonna do it. I don't think it ever uh um sort of reached fruition, but but it was and like Sox and Bill Clinton where they were on a stamp in the Central African African Republic, they had a Sox stamp. Um so there's just sort of, was sort of a way in which Sox had charisma. But um Chloe, as you suggested, the problem was that starting around nineteen ninety six the Clintons added a dog named Buddy to their menagerie, and and Socks and Buddy hated each other. Right?
0: They did. They did not get along at all. Um, to the extent that when the Clintons left the White House, Socks actually went to live with Bill Clinton's secretary, who people might remember um, as a prominent figure in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Um, so he went to live with her, and Buddy stayed with the family. Um, Socks lived with her until 2009. Um, When he died, but when he died, I think he was almost 20. So he lived an extremely long life for a cat.
1: Yes, actually, Buddy did not enjoy uh, such a long life or a similar fate. But yes, uh, Bill Clinton uh, famously joked about this, saying, "I I had more, I had more difficulty with socks and Buddy than I did with uh, the Jews and uh, Palestinians. Uh, I had less success in getting them to get along." So uh, he did. He gave socks to Betty Curry, who. Yeah, so Betty Curry was his secretary, the Mrs. Landingham of the Clinton administration. Um, and kind of, yeah, And her, her role in Monica Lewinsky was, I think, that she procured some of the gifts, yes. you know, little books and stuff like that, that, that Clinton yes. would give to Monica Lewinsky. But there was also a sense that, you know, maybe she and Socks both knew too much. So why not put them together and... Uh, have them uh, live out their days. Um, they probably
0: had a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes,
1: I would think so. But yeah, I still do regard Socks as, t- in many ways. I mean, there were other presidential pets. In fact, I think Dan Burton talked about the fact that uh, um, that the the, the Bush forty one had Millie, and in fact, Barbara Bush, uh, she would she put out at least one book that was ostensibly written by Millie the dog, um, and uh, and I believe Hillary Clinton did a Socks book too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of Burton's suggestions in that letter we were talking about um, was that the Clintons do the same thing um, with their children's books. So this, this book about Millie got published and then they used the proceeds to pay for that pet's uh, snail mail correspondence. Mm-hmm. Um, but the children's book about socks, um, what like the proceeds from that were donated to the National Park Service. So they were they were already accounted for. Um, So they were not able to, to take the same route as the bushes did.
1: Well, Chloe, I, I do feel that you and I may have done the very last interview ever done about Socks the Cat. It's, it's a dangerous <laughs> thing to say, but here in 2020, I just sort of feel like we, this may be the last time journalism returns to look at Socks the Cat. So I'm proud that it was with you, Chloe Bryan, deputy editor of Mashable's shopping section uh, covering tech and lifestyle products, possibly including socks. Uh, previously a cultural reporter for Mashable. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much
1: all right and so we're done here and let me just say yes we did a show about socks in the middle of all kinds of national and international crises but our thought was yeah maybe you did need something as comforting as the act of pulling a pair of really nice socks over your feet with all their nerve endings and bones and joints so i hope we got your mind off things a little bit for an hour we'll be back on friday
0: Dragon to
3: me, baby baby, talking to the baby baby